6.20 in the evening, Sunday. It's hot. Except this time, the background noise is not cars or an ambulance passing by or just the general sounds of Beirut. It's a fan on full blast because it's generator electricity. Can't turn on the AC. We can turn on the fan. And I don't know if this is addiction or passion but I don't know what we're doing here on a Sunday evening why aren't we away from Beirut in the mountains on the beach what are we doing we'll do that later (laughs) (laughs) well that's actually (laughs) it's a very very uh, smart way of (laughs) shutting down that topic I think it was today that I saw another piece written by you in the New Arab about Palestinian refugees and yeah. economic concerns and the like. So you have an article published this morning. In the afternoon, you're going to be talking about another article. I'll emphasize that this is your weekend. This isn't your weekday. <laughs> so I'm, I'm impressed by that. And uh, if you don't mind, Tala, let's jump into the topic at hand for the first episode. And I'll say this. I, I read it. Uh, I read it, took me maybe 30 minutes to get through. It's a very extensive piece, but it's a subject I'm not familiar with, and that's where my own excitement comes from. So if you can just generally introduce the uh, the, the topic and, and the first episode. I chose um, the article called The Next Word, uh, which was published in The New Yorker back in 2019. Um, just to have a like, background information, The New Yorker is one of my favorite uh, magazines because it really... Uh, it's really an intensive uh, kind of uh, magazine where it only shares a lot of uh, in-depth features and you know whatever you're going to read in the New Yorker is going to be something that's really heavy and that's going to really stay with you for a long time so uh, back to this article it's called the next word it was written by uh, John Seabrook and this sorry I'm interrupting you quickly but this came out was it two years ago in 2019? True, um, but it's, it can still relate to our current times, mm. um, especially that it's talking about AI, which is something that's you know ongoing with all the research and all the findings and the data and all of these details, especially that this world, Jenny, it, it really has a lot of impact, especially with the lockdown and the pandemic. So it, you yeah. know, we have more curiosity towards this topic. Right. And um, it's really the mystery behind AI that made me you know just really want to read this article so let's get into that but before jumping into that mystery and and all that is artificial intelligence how did you read this piece i always try to to do that in the morning uh because you know it's just the right time to have 30 minutes that you don't have anything um whether it's in the background or for work or i i just have some 30 minutes that are free and i just love to indulge in whatever i want to read um, probably not be sitting with my coffee. I want to be more specific. I, I'm pushing as far as I can on this. I used to subscribe to The New Yorker, and this is in the States. The magazine itself would show up at my front door in the morning, so I would be probably in my pyjama or boxers or maybe uh, just whatever, <laughs> some, some basic clothing on, <laughs> enough to 
open the door and close it right away. <laughs> and I would see the New Yorker, and I used to love, love, and I'm sorry for this sort of little sound. I used to love reading the articles. I would turn the pages, crumble the magazine. I used to love folding it, going back to it later. The magazine would sit on my coffee table for maybe months, piled up to, it would actually be next to piles of other magazines. I used to read The Economist, um, Time Magazine at some point, but that sort of stopped a while ago. I stopped subscribing. Uh, newspapers as well, The Wall Street Journal, National Geographic. I have stacks of National Geographic, but this is going back in time. Uh, but I used to love holding, even, sorry for sounding stupid, smelling. I can so relate, yeah. <laughs> especially with the smell. But you in the morning, in 2021, in Beirut, how are you engaging the New Yorker? Is it on your phone? Is it on your iPad? Is it on your Apple Watch? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but um, it's on my phone, basically. And what I really love to do is just switch my phone off or turn my airplane mode on and just like have the article downloaded and just read it without any notifications coming in the way. So I really love to have all my focus and attention just on this article because I really feel like the New Yorker, like the writers that who, wrote, who writes there, they really take their time and their uh, features and it shows how much they go in depth through every article and with the research, with the expertise, with even their opinion. So uh, all of this makes you really want to engage in the piece. So that's why I just do it on my phone, but without any, you know, side, uh, side hickey notifications or anything that could uh, have me like uh, with my divided attention. So you're concentrating when you're reading? Oh, yes. Is it subscription? Do you have the New Yorker as a paid? Yes, I uh, keep my fresh dollars <laughs> for such things because... Really? So you're <laughs> yes. spending your fresh dollar on the New Yorker? Oh, yes. Well, that should be advertising for the New Yorker <laughs> because uh, that's very difficult to do now. Oh, yeah. How much is it per month for the magazine? I'm not sure, but I think it's $19. So are you purchasing magazine by magazine or do you have the monthly? Uh, I have the monthly. Monthly. Uh, okay. Uh, subscription. And you're able to reach $20. Yep. Well, that's great <laughs> because even my credit card doesn't go, I think, at that level for transactions abroad. So no, I had to push it and ask for permission and, you know, just... Yeah, to, to reach the $20 uh, minimum. But The New Yorker is worth it. Oh, yes. It's really, really worth it. Uh, let's jump into the piece. It's from a well-respected New Yorker author. I think he's been... I, I recognize his name right away. He's been... I checked it out today. 32 years at The New Yorker. So he's one of their longtime uh, oh, yeah. contributors. Uh, how did you find this article? And is it just sort of part of that membership that you downloaded it by chance or were you looking for this topic back in october 2019 when it was published the first thing when i saw the word the, the headline the next word i was really curious because i thought it's something about writing or something about books so i didn't really have in mind something that's ai related um but then i read uh, you know the the sub line and it says something that about artificial intelligence and i was like Oh, okay, let's see, what is it? What's the connection between the next word and mm. um, the artificial intelligence world? So uh, I was really curious, and what really uh, brought me in this, like, with all these features uh, in this one particular article was really amazing, because you can hear the article, and you, know, you can listen to it. 
Yes, and that's uh, from the first at the top of the page, which you wouldn't experience obviously in the physical format. Uh, it's a computer-generated uh, transcription. Exactly. Yeah. And it took about fifty-five minutes. Yes. Put, yeah, is that right? I'm I'm quickly True. checking again. Yeah, so that's almost an hour. Exactly, which is really cool because you can you know you can do something on the side and just have this uh, narrative going on in the background. Did you listen to it or read it? No, no, I read it, but read I was. It. I was amazed because the first thing you can see is the audio part mm, mm, and then mm. the article itself. And then after almost every paragraph uh, in the middle of it, you can actually click to see what AI has predicted instead of what the, the actual author has written. Whenever we are going to, you know, to Gmail and reply to a certain email, sometimes we get uh, suggestions. And, you know, sometimes they're really, really accurate. Like, it's exactly what you really wanted to say, which is kind of scary because uh, AI knows everything about you. you know, they can predict what you're going to say next, how you're feeling. Uh, your internet searches would say a lot about you and all of these details. So the experiment here in this article was um, where in the author let AI predict what's going to be next in the article. Was it what was next or was it a, uh, a, a revised ending to that section? He would have his own uh, ending and then he would actually uh, feature AI's uh, prediction. Right, so it's the automated reconfiguration of the ending, but it sometimes, it almost felt like it's a better crafted paragraph or a few sentences, exactly. which is very startling. It is. Um, however, the author is really trying to push that AI can't have a human element or can't really take the place of a journalist or a writer. Maybe that's why I like the article, because mm. although he is praising uh, AI at one point and he's saying that, all right, it, it, may, it did make our life, lives easier, but at one point it can't replace us. So um, it's really nice to look at it this way because you know you can see the two sides of AI which is not necessarily something that's negative or because a lot of people would look at it this way but it's somewhere in between so it depends on how you would let it uh, you know take over your life There's a quote that I picked out from the story. It's actually at the beginning of it. And John Seabrook, the, the author, uh, he took me with him on a very sort of, it's, it's imagined. And it's imagined and it's real. Uh, I'll quote him. I had remained on the near shore of a digital Rubicon represented by the tab key. On the far shore, I imagined, was a strange new land where machines do the writing and people communicate in emojis the modern version of the pictographs and hieroglyphs from which our writing system emerged 5,000 years ago. It's almost like the beginning of the written word again, except this time it's digital. It's not us doing the writing. Exactly. It it's took an another extension form. of us. Yes. Right. For me, that brought back something. I know it's a bit off topic. It's uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Have you watched that movie? No. Uh, <laughs> we're no longer friends. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so two and a half hours. But I need this year, the well, series. <laughs> no, it's not a series. It's no, no, a, I need the mini series <laughs> to, to stay on. Oh, <laughs> this mini series. Oh, okay. Our well, mini series. 
that's that'll stay but <laughs> uh, this movie and he mentions it he actually mentions uh how the computer system in a spaceship that is traveling the solar system how it turns off at the end how it ends up being gibberish mm-hmm. but at some point in the movie it's actually overriding human decisions it ends up killing humans on board um so when that kind of rebirth of the written word the movie's about the rebirth of man mm-hmm. from from ape to human to technology and i sense i th- i mean I, I assume this is what he meant that it's not that this is throwing away what we do it's actually just an extension of what we do but it's the next form when he said emojis though and pictographs i felt so uncomfortable because for me that's a that's the worst way to communicate exactly it takes out the seriousness yes especially when it comes to something like like or even it, depth it removes the depth yeah. exactly and um I, i really think that he's trying to deliver a very strong message here that again so i could be texting and not using emojis i can have it my way because this is how i want to sound for the other person i want to sound serious deep and all of these you know uh you know with this intention but if i want to uh rely on stickers or emojis then i want to take the conversation in another form so it's really about choice and this is exactly what he's trying to say you know he presses this uh, gmail uh, suggestion he's trying to do that out of choice and like willingly Um, you could be using that to save some time or you could be putting your own feelings into it and just write the email yourself. So when you say Gmail, you're referring to that software that he mentions. The, uh, uh, smart. Uh, uh, yes, I, the name escapes me now. We should know this because it's, uh, I think it was Smart Compose. Smart, uh, smart Reply. Smart Reply, yes. Uh, so there's that, which is the automated response. But before we get into there, I want to add one more thing. Has it ever happened to you that When you don't include an emoji, the recipient feels un- uneasy. It's like, what's wrong? Are you referring to how I, <laughs> I communicate with you? <laughs> you and, and many people I know that, that like to have a smiley face at the end. Otherwise, oh, yes. it's, uh, <laughs> Guilty. it's otherwise it's war. Yes. And I don't know how to express happiness through an emoticon. I usually do it through writing. So does that happen to you where the emoticon almost replaces the depth? Where it's a, like a, it's almost a false depth. It's a shallow version of what should be there, but people take it too seriously. Exactly. I think we used uh, the emojis and emoticons and all of these, you know, additional uh, uh, parts of our text messages or emails. Um, we took it like a new, as as if it's a new habit, and we're too used to it now that somehow if we're not seeing any emojis or stickers or emoticons we can't feel like what the other person is trying to tell us or what's the tone he's trying to use which is really funny because a face is not supposed to tell me exactly and i can read it in my own you know way or i can foresee what the tra- the person is trying to deliver to me um i think it's really a habit that we we gained so much that it's kind of some sort of culture for us now And we can't read if uh, we can't read the person well if he if he didn't include some sort of uh, emoticons to his message, which is very shallow. I agree, but um, we're kind of used to it now, and um, this is yeah, and this is the only way we can actually read the person. And it appears like it's an ir- irreversible trend when you have 
digital communication as now that's fundamental to modern life, even communicating by text or message is in itself a curtailing of the written word. Exactly. But then you just throw an emoji to say the whole story. And it's almost like he's what he's saying is real, that artificial intelligence may actually end up doing the job for you, where you're just literally technology is doing it on your behalf. Exactly. And feeling on your behalf as feeling. well. That actually, that's a nice way of bringing up another section I, I, I enjoyed reading. And it was both uh, an enjoy, enjoyable and using his word creepy. <laughs> and he references uh, a message to his son mm-hmm. that he wants to say something. But the, yeah, and I'll, I'll quote it here. Typing an email to my son, I began, quote, I am P dash, end quote, and was about to write, quote, pleased. So he wanted to write, I am pleased, when predictive text suggested, quote, proud of you, end quote. I am proud of you. Now, this is carrying on. Wow, I don't say that enough. And clearly smart compose thinks that what most fathers in my state say to their sons in emails, I hit tab, no biggie. And yet sitting there at the keyboard, I could feel the uncanny valley prickling my neck. It wasn't that smart compose had guessed correctly where my thoughts were headed. In fact, it hadn't. The creepy thing was that the machine was more thoughtful than I was. That is scary. Exactly. Honestly, this is the exact paragraph that made me stop and think before I continue to read this uh, article because it's really a thing. I mean, even if we're not, you know, if we're not in the same scenario that the author is in, but we've uh, passed through times where um, Smart Compose just, you know, suggested something that's really emotional rather than robotic. So I think it's at that point where you just sit and stare and this one thing, AI, that's supposed to be very robotic and with no feelings is actually feeling for you and, you know, delivering a certain uh, sense that you need to have. So it's really amazing that sometimes it reminds us of a certain feeling that we need to have. And I mean, this could be positive and negative again, because um, first of all, it reminds you of something that you need to feel or not feel. Yeah, it's, it's really about choice, but it reminds you of something. The really important thing here to remember is it's, you will submit to it with your own choice. You still have the choice to you know, get an old camera and go and have it your own way or you know just be uh, you, know, you want to have this whole uh, feeling endorsed in this particular adventure let's say or you can use your your phone for it to take instagram pictures and that's it and you call yourself a photographer so it's really a matter of choice here so that's really a good thing because we always have the choice to do to go this way or that way so i really think it's important here to highlight that we have the choice to do so and just submit to it so the positive is the negative? It's the same thing? Exactly. It's just our matter of how we are going to respond to it. Your piece that was released today, I'm assuming you had no predictive text. You wrote it. Oh, it was your, just me. <laughs> just to you. Would you be okay if half of that article was simply generated by a computer? Not I even by a computer, by, by your own sort of, uh, just literally software that ends it for you. When it comes to news particularly, I think there's always this human element that needs to be in the story, um, in terms of interviews, of course, and in terms of the writing itself. 
because you need to deliver some sort of uh, feeling to the reader. So I really think that AI can't do that because you always have to have, of course, in, in the most objective ways, but you still have a sense of delivering something or a feeling that you've seen or you experienced to deliver to your readers. So I really feel like AI can't do the job here. Mm. But again, it's really a matter of choice. Maybe another journalist will, would look at it and say, huh, you know, okay, if, if I want to be really objective, then I could let a robot do it. But what about just in terms of efficiency? I remember in the piece, uh, he's letting the smart reply or smart compose. I don't remember which one it is. I think it's smart reply. Uh, when he refers to uh, a response he's giving his editor and it's got it exclamation point and he feels bad because he didn't actually take the time and he actually didn't get what was, <laughs> exactly. uh, what was sent a week later his editor uses the same thing got it so they're both using the automated reply does it save time in that sense and are you able to make better usage of that time or do you still think that it's curtailing your profession um, of course, it, it saves time, but um, on the other hand, it could get people more confused. For instance, if I got a message from my, f let's say I got an email from my dad saying, I'm so proud of you. I would really think it's automated. <laughs> I oh. wouldn't, yeah, I would be really confused whether it's him yeah. or the AI or what is it exactly? Who's so talking he's, to he's me? He's never proud of you. <laughs> you know, at least he says it's physically. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's really confusing because you don't know who's talking here. Um, did the person, you know, just register to this fast uh, route and, you know, just, you know, uh, click tab? Or was it like something that's really essential and that he wanted to say it and he actually typed it? So I really feel like this confusion part is actually taking extra time from us rather than, you know, just uh, getting everything delivered and let it sink in that it really came out of this person who delivered the message to you. And he actually touches on something that is very important, it's fundamental, at least when it comes to algorithms and social media. He talks about that AI cannot differentiate between what is true and what is false. And as long as the pattern is there, it doesn't know which one is real and which one isn't. So I'll quote him, I'll quote the author again. Conspiracy theories, after all, are a form of pattern recognition. Artificial intelligence doesn't care if they're true or not. That's dangerous. So it's it's almost like um, the pattern is what's most important, not the substance. Exactly. And I think the biggest example here could be uh, the self-driving cars. That's so interesting. Basically, when AI is, you know, tailored into the self-driving cars, when there's something that's surprisingly coming in the way, we can relate when we're living in Beirut, it won't know like wh which way to go. They're not used to this. The machine is not used to this. And there's no pattern to our driving, so it'll never exactly. get used to oh, it. Oh, yes. <laughs> it will get really confused. But it's interesting that um, you, could you actually program AI to differentiate between fact and fiction? Or is that human judgment at the end? Maybe it would depend on the level or intensity. But it might. I mean, on the basic level, it could. But maybe when something gets, you know, uh, more sophisticated or complicated it won't know how to navigate or it will know how to navigate but it won't be the proper choice so um, it's really not the best you know thing to rely on so how does the subject impact lebanon i feel like the way it was actually written that it actually impacts lebanon because 
um, the author really gave the two sides of the story. And again, he gave the space to the reader to make his own choice. This is something that we really don't really look into. And we always have this, the answers given by the author himself to us. So it's really good to feel like we have a place to make our own decisions and you know just evaluate things on our own way not just have someone's opinion get in the way of it so i really feel like this could be a philosophical change to our behavior and how we read articles but what do you mean in other words that we're just regurgitating what we hear rather than producing our own thoughts exactly because sometimes we're just taken by the judgments or uh, you know just the the opinion of others and we barely make our own opinion or come up with our own uh, evaluation of the th of things around us so i really feel like we need the space where we feel independent in our own choices and on how we look at things we we should always you know look at things from both sides and then we decide for ourselves which one is you know something that we would rely on but you're going now deep into the Lebanese problems <laughs> oh, of <yes. laughs> uh, independent thought versus sheep-like mentality. And <laughs> do you sense that we're robotic in a way by, by just regurgitating rather than reflecting? I really feel like most of us are really, you know, cultured to have this robotic choice or thoughts or opinion uh, only because they were presented to us. So uh, we tend to you know, go with the flow when it comes to these decisions. And I really feel like we need this trust from people who actually tell the story from each side and you know, just have us have our own uh, evaluation or choice of uh, how we see things. So it's going back to sovereign decision making, the individual yes. versus, the, uh, <laughs> versus the script, versus the pattern that we're used to. That's really interesting. I would have never gone there myself but it's really, really interesting to link it back to what we're going through, at least at a non-AI-related issue when it comes to all things impacting Lebanon. I really like that insight. What is on board for next week? Um, it's a book written by a um, Lebanese uh, author. I'll just leave it here. <laughs> oh, no, you have to give us a little more than that. Um, it's something that goes around Beirut, it's uh, something with the love of Beirut. Okay, so it's a so book that's focused on Beirut itself. Yes. Okay, well, that's a very different subject altogether. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but no, th I think this is really interesting, Tada. I learned a lot from AI just from one article. And the way the article is set up, you can actually dig deeper if you choose to. So it's going to be embedded into the episode. Tada, thank you for doing this. Thank the first you for episode. helping me talk <laughs> on my first podcast because this was really, you know... I was really nervous about it, but thank you. <laughs> and we dealt with the heat quite well. Oh, yes. Now the sun's going down. So finally. <laughs> oh, you've got sweat? Yes, me too, on my eyebrow. This is why audio okay. is more important, exactly. especially in the summer. Oh, yes. This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through the links in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. I'm Tala Ramadan and this is the written word for the Beirut Banyan.